Well, praise be to God. Here we are again with the opportunity to gather around the Word of God. We are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves now at John chapter 6. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up there to your New Testament, to the Gospel of John chapter 6. We finished up chapter 5, and like I often do, I'd like to just briefly recap what we studied in that chapter. Uh, Jesus was in uh, Jerusalem, and he was being questioned by the Jewish leaders as to what authority he had. They were upset with him over the fact that he had healed a man on the Sabbath, and they began to persecute Jesus. And, you know, it really is ridiculous when you think about the whole situation that took place. The the man that Jesus had healed was lame for 38 years, and uh, here the religious leaders did not like what Jesus did. So they raised a a big fuss about it. But personally, I'm convinced that in many ways, even in our day today, man-made tradition and man-made religion is uh, sometimes in complete contradiction to the work of the Lord Jesus in this world. The first coming of Jesus into this world was to heal this world of the greatest disease known to mankind, Sin brought about a spiritual death to everyone born into the world, and Jesus came and offered the cure. The cure for the disease of sin was his shed blood. That is what brought about the forgiveness of our sin. And salvation is a free gift to all that will receive it. But in many ways, um, religion has twisted and distorted the truth of the Scriptures. And many people are confused and they don't understand the truth about God because religion um, has made that truth to be so convoluted. We really just need to get back to the basics and think about the simplicity of the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, many people know that scripture. Many people have read that scripture. That scripture has been held up at football games, John three sixteen, and it's been posted all over the place. And many people throughout the world have grabbed their Bibles and, and read that scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But you know, it really is just that simplistic. It's not complicated at all. Religion can complicate it. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be careful that we do not create our own religion. We cannot put God uh, in a little box that is to our liking or a little box that excludes everybody else. It seems sometimes as if that's what happens. We put God in our own little box, and then we try to invite everyone to come see God in our box. You know, God is far bigger than any box we can create, any building we can build. God is far bigger than that. All of the programs and things that we can have going on in our little buildings, God is is bigger. He's far beyond our comprehension. So we need to be a people that is shining the true light of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. You see, Jesus didn't come to be our political king. He is the king of kings. And the work that Jesus still accomplishes today in this world is to seek and to save that which was lost. That was you and that was me. And that's a lot of other people out there right now. 
I am thoroughly convinced that when people come to an understanding of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come to see a loving God that cares very, very deeply for them. God is love, and He operates purely in love, but the truth about God has been distorted and twisted. The religious people of Jesus' day did not like what Jesus was doing. It didn't jive with the way they did things. He, um, had he fell in line with their ways, they would have loved him. And still today, Jesus does not fit in with this world. So therefore, he calls us to be not of this world. But as we've seen in John chapter 5, the attention of the religious leaders was now squarely on Jesus. They did not like the way he did things. He was not the type of Messiah they were looking for, and they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted the work that he was doing to be stopped. And now, with all that, we'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus is pressing on, and verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Okay, so let's just stop there. So in chapter 5, we saw Jesus seek out an individual. He gave his full attention to one lame man. And here in chapter 6, it begins with a multitude of people seeking Jesus. But what is the reason they are following him? They are following him because of the signs he performed. Jesus knew this. He knew that this multitude wasn't following him for the right reasons. And we won't get there today, but by the end of this chapter, we're going to see that many will turn away from Jesus. But you know, Jesus always had great compassion on those that followed him around. We'll see as we continue through the Gospel of John that Jesus will um, physically feed thousands of people. He reached out to people with love, even though they treated him poorly. He cared for people no matter what. And the body of Christ on the earth today is you and me. And we need to be people of compassion as well. Giving to the poor reaching out to others with God's love, whether they are believers or not. That's the kind of love that Christ demonstrated for us. And now um, we see this great multitude is following Jesus here. And verse 5 goes on to say, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, this is the only time that you will find it in your Bible where it appears that Jesus is asking someone for advice. But in reality, he wasn't asking for advice at all because verse 6 says, But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So here's proof positive that Jesus allows, excuse me, allows our faith to be tested. He knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to test Philip's faith. And the Lord will put us in situations where the solution seems impossible. And he does this so that our faith can be tested. 
Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James is um, toward the back of your Bible. It's right after the book of Hebrews and right before the book of 1 Peter. James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. Very familiar verses to many of you. Verse 2, James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the Lord knows what is best for us. He wants to bring us to a place where we are spiritually mature and lacking nothing. But he knows the end from the very beginning. When a trial or difficult times come our way, he is there to see us through it. But at the same time, oftentimes Satan shows up and tries to get you to turn your back on God. When you're going through a difficult time. Satan will say, ah, see, God has failed you. This isn't worth all this. Come on, get out of that. And you know, in the Old Testament book of Job, chapter 2, Job's wife was used as an instrument of Satan. And she told Job that as a result of the trial that he was going through, that he should curse God and die. But when a trial or a time of testing comes in our lives... If we will resolve in our hearts to fight the fight of faith and press on, we will find that we will mature and our faith will be strengthened. Counting it all joy isn't easy. But the reason that we can count it all joy is in the knowing that the trying of our faith brings us to a place of growth. And you know, oftentimes when we do go through a trial, it's easy to look at those closest to us and begin to to take it out on them. But we got to look deeper than that. We got to look beyond that. We got to look unto our Lord Jesus and cry out to him and see if possibly he's using this trial to test our faith, to test our faith, excuse me. Most of us have had difficult times in our lives. I'm sure all of us listening in one way, shape or form have had a difficult time in our life. You know, this world is full of hurt and pain. Things happen that leave scars on our hearts, but we can all trust in the fact that God is on the throne and he is in complete control. There are many things in this world that if we fix our minds on them, they will cause us to be full of fear and not faith. But God is bigger than it all. The Lord will use various situations to test your faith, but ultimately he wants us trusting in what he will do. Now go ahead and turn back to John chapter 6. So Jesus is testing Philip. Jesus was in complete control, but he was giving Philip a chance to respond in faith. And God allows situations like that in our lives to see how we'll respond. And how did Philip respond to Jesus? Look at verse 7, John chapter 6, verse 7. He said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. So how did Philip respond? He responded by looking into the money bag and saying, hey, we ain't got enough. 
He looked at the checking account and said, we can't do this. But the Lord doesn't need our money to accomplish his work. Money wasn't the answer to this situation. Verse 8 goes on to tell us that one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So Andrew steps up and he begins to offer a solution. But midway through his sentence, he comes up with a very big three-letter word. He uses the word, but. He says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. It sounds positive right there. He's heading in the right direction. But what are they among so many? And so often, you know, we make that mistake. We think that that which limits us limits God as well. I know I make that mistake. I think that if I can't see a solution, then there is no solution. But you know, God will take the small and insignificant and accomplish so much. It's like David facing off with Goliath. He was too small to wear the armor and he had a sling and a small stone. Yet God accomplished that which two entire armies thought would be impossible. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus saw rich people bringing their offerings to the treasury and a a poor widow woman putting three-eighths of a cent into the offering. He said that that woman had put more in than them all. You see, God can use little to make much. He does not need our abundance. He wants us to trust in him and not in what we have to offer. Philip thought the money was the answer. But the real answer was trusting in what Jesus could do. And Jesus was about to bring a solution to this situation. And moving on in verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Okay, so there are 5,000 men sitting down here. But let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles Back one book to the Gospel of Luke. And let's look at chapter 9. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. Here we'll read Luke's account of this same story that we're studying now in John chapter 6. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 12, it says... When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. So the disciples are saying, Hey, let's get rid of these people. The day is wearing away. It's been a long day. Let's just send these people on their way. But Jesus said to them in verse 13, You give them help, or excuse me, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. So here again, they're looking to money as the solution. Verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. 
and made them all sit down. So Jesus knows the solution to the problem. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, are all hungry. Philip counts the cost and says it would take 200 denarii. This is the equivalent to the wages they would earn in 200 days. Some of the other disciples are saying, send them home, Lord. But Jesus had a whole different answer. And he put the disciples to work to accomplish his will. He told the disciples to organize everyone into groups of 50. You see, he is a God of order. And he will use us to accomplish his will on this earth. Jesus was about to do something But he would use the disciples as part of the solution. Jesus is the solution, but he will use us to go out amongst the masses to accomplish his work in their lives. The disciples were tired and they wanted to go home. But God's work needed to be done. And turning back now to John chapter 6, Jesus will now show the disciples that he is the one that holds the solution. It's not man's resources that God needs. Let's look at verse 11, John chapter 6, verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. You see, the bread and the fish just kept coming. There seemed to be an endless supply, and with God, that is always the case. Verse 12, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Now, this is really amazing to me. They fed all the people, and when they had gathered up the remains, there was enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. How many disciples were there? 12. There was a basket of food left over for each one of them. If we would just be obedient to the Lord and do what He says, we will be able to do His will and see our needs taken care of as well. But our focus needs to be on Him and not on our circumstances. We cannot trust in our own resources. We must trust in the One who has an endless resource. When we are facing a difficult situation, We must rest in the fact that we serve a God that is more than enough. The story goes on here. Verse 14 says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. You see, 5,000 men just had their bellies filled to the max, and women and children as well. And they liked what this man Jesus could accomplish for them. So they wanted to keep him around. And you know, there are many today that like to keep Jesus around in case they have a need or could use a miracle. They don't need him any other time. If things are going well, they'll just keep partying on, but they'll call on him in times of need. And that is religion. And unfortunately, In many ways, that's American Christianity as well. 
Hey, trust in Jesus. It'll bring you great prosperity, they say. That's another example of how people twist the scriptures. You know, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Turn to the book of Galatians. It's to the right of where we are now. Right after 2 Corinthians and just before the book of Ephesians. So Galatians chapter 2. And we are going to look down at verse 20. Galatians 2.20. Very familiar verse. I often quote this verse. I love this verse in the Bible. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, as followers of Jesus, we have died to ourselves. It's no longer about us. It's now all about Jesus. We are no longer in control. He is. And our lives are now to be lived out by Faith in Him. Now, turn up a few chapters to uh, chapter 5 of Galatians. And we're going to look down at verse uh, 24. Galatians 5, 24. It says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, you see, when you come to Christ... It's not about your financial prosperity and getting all the things your flesh so desires. It's about putting to death the flesh and allowing Christ to rule and reign in your heart. Jesus is enough. It's all about Him. Let's uh, look at a couple more scriptures. Turn up one chapter to chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 14. It says, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So here again we see that we are dead to the world. Dead to the world. So how do we go out and we... You know, we we claim that it's about bigger houses, more cars, boats, yachts, planes, all these things, financial prosperity. And we build our churches bigger and bigger. And we have these uh, super Walmart type churches where there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, something to please everybody. When it really comes back to dying to ourselves, being crucified dead to the world, separated from this world, set apart and being holy. No wonder, in many ways today, Christianity is seen as hypocrisy because Christianity is often chasing after the same things that the rest of the world who don't even know Jesus is chasing after. And after all these men that we're seeing back in John chapter 6, go ahead and turn there, after they all had their physical needs met, they were really liking this Jesus guy. To him, he was the God of their bellies. But you know, 
Jesus is not our genie in a bottle that makes the world a perfect place for us to be. Like I said earlier, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that has ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us that is not of this world. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. This place is not our home. And we need to get our minds off of the things of this world and on to Jesus. And then we will see him not only use us to impact the world with his love, but we'll also see that there is plenty left over to take care of our needs as well. But these men wanted Jesus in their lives to satisfy their every physical need. And verse 15 says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So you see, Jesus perceived the real reason they wanted him. And he took off into the mountain. And when we seek God for our personal satisfaction, we're not going to find him. But when we surrender all to him, that is when we will find the joy and the peace that comes from the Savior of the world being on the throne of our hearts. Contrary to many teachings today that get taught out there in the world, Jesus didn't come to make this world a better place. He came to redeem us from this world, and he left to go and prepare another place for us. And for now, we walk by faith in him, longing for the day when we will finally be with him. Let's look at uh, just a couple more verses, and we'll be finished up for today. Verses 16 and 17. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Now, what jumped out to me as I studied this is that statement there, the, uh, the last sentence in verse 17, where it says, It was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Have you ever felt that way? Do you ever feel like you're in a dark place and Jesus isn't there? The fact of the matter is we all have felt that way. Life can bring great heartache and pain, but through it all, he remains. He is faithful. But we can't look for Jesus to be our our political king. We can't look to him to be our personal banker. It goes much deeper than that. Jesus is to be our all in all. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And if you have fashioned him into anything else, then you have created an idol. Repent. And begin to seek Jesus for who he really is. We're going to go ahead and stop here for today. But next time, we'll see that Jesus really didn't leave the disciples in the dark. And I encourage you to go ahead and finish reading in this chapter. You'll see, he didn't leave them there in the dark. He's always there for us. God bless, guys. Thanks again for listening. and We'll see you next time.